Welcome to the Maywood Student Ministries Podcast. We are so happy you are tuning in. On this episode, Wesley continues our series, Holy Habits, with a message on the holy habit of stewardship. Bernie Madoff was a stockbroker and a financial advisor and investor. He, uh, many people came to him with their money and they asked him to invest their money for him in order to make returns on it. He brought in new clients by establishing a sense of trust and accountability. He said, hey, you trust me with your money, I'm gonna make it grow. I'm gonna make good things happen with that money. In 2008, it was found out that he was running one of the largest Ponzi schemes in American history, and he was arrested for it. It was found that he was taking investor money and put it into his own pocket. And he would cover up this fraud by essentially attracting new investors and they would give him their money and he would recuperate what he stole from previous investors. It was estimated that the financial impact of his fraud was about $65 billion. And that's across 37,000 victims. And that's as much as we know today. There's continuing ongoing investigations, but that's the number as of right now. Huge impact. People lost their life savings. They lost the things that they needed to live on. Hospitals who had invested with him lost their funding. Charities lost their funding. And even a few people of his investors had committed suicide, including one of Madoff's own sons. So our topic tonight is stewardship, the holy habit of stewardship. And you might be wondering why I bring up Bernie Madoff in relationship to stewardship. But as we explore this topic, what we're going to find is that Bernie Madoff is the poster child for bad stewardship. He's an extreme example to set up what stewardship involves. In Madoff's case, he was a steward of investors' money. He was a fiduciary manager who people, clients, gave their money to him and they trusted him. And they trusted him to do good things with the resources that they had given him. A good verb that I could associate with stewardship would be investing. Now, the act of investing, it requires two things. Two main ingredients are required in investing. That would be resources and time. You need resources and time to invest in general. Just do it in general. You need those two things. Those are critical. And that's involved in all forms of stewardship, all forms of stewardship. Now, how does the habit of stewardship play out in our Christian lives? Well, to understand that, we need to go to God's word. So I want to, would like you guys to open up your Bibles to Matthew 25, 14 through 30. This is the parable of the talents, and it's going to be our main passage that we're going to focus on tonight. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. 
He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you had scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant! You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Dear Lord, um, I just thank you for this time that we can be together as a community, uh, worship you, praise you, learn from your word. I pray that you would humble all of our hearts tonight, including mine, and that we would learn from what your word has to say about stewardship, and that from what we learn, that we would carry this out as a holy habit in our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's our big idea for tonight. Stewardship is the holy habit of wisely managing and investing the resources, gifts, and time God has entrusted to us here on earth for eternal returns, which is funded by the power of God. So as we explore this topic, we are going to see that in order to be good stewards, there are three key things that we need to do. The first thing that we need to do is that we need to identify and define the things that God has blessed us with to steward. If we look at this parable, as many of you may know, a parable is a representation of something. It's a story to put a framework around a truth. So what are the key elements of this parable? Well, there's the man or the master, and that is a representation of Jesus. And the time that he is away from his servants is what could be represented as the church age that we are currently in right now. It's the time frame in which we are waiting for the return of Christ. A talent, what he gave to each of his servants, was at that time in the Greco-Roman economy, the largest denomination of currency that you could have. If we were to think about it in today's money, it probably equates to about 20 years of someone's wages. 
So that is a considerable amount of money, a lot. And also what the talent represents is not necessarily something super specific like money or a, a particular gift or a particular resource. Rather, it's, a it's supposed to represent the overall responsibility God entrusts his followers to use and to steward in their Christian lives. It's an overall responsibility. But you could look at this parable with the mindset of a particular gift or money or particular resources, and it would fit well. But the use of the talent is just to have that general framework. We have to start with the right framework. And the right framework is this, is to understand that everything that we have, everything that we own, and everything on this earth is God's. God owns it, not us. It's all God's. If we think back to Genesis 1.1, the very first verse of the Bible, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Before there was the earth, there was nothing except God. And then God created the earth. He brought it into being. And therefore, his creation is his. It's, it's all his. It belongs to him. Now, if we go further into Genesis 1, into verse 28, we see that God handed over his creation to Adam and Eve. He told them to fulfill or to, to multiply, to have dominion, and to watch over his creation. He blessed them. He blessed the people that he had created with that responsibility to have man management over his creation. This is really important for us to understand, to have this right framework as we think about stewardship. You know, the American dream tells us to pursue happiness and to disregard selflessness. It tells us to invest in yourself. It says pursue your dreams and don't let anyone stand in your way. Uh, you know, we just came out of Thanksgiving, which is quickly followed by Black Friday. Like the next day, it's Black Friday. And Black Friday is a day to self-indulge, spend on yourself, spend what makes you happy. But have we ever asked ourselves, what if God's dream is different than the American dream? You know, what if we are mismanaging the resources that God has blessed us with? We have to ask ourselves, are we managing God's resources well? What is God placed in your life to steward and to manage? Here are some things to think about. You know, time. You have time with friends, time with family, time with God, time by yourself even. You know, you can also think of gifts and abilities. You know, if you are a believer and you have the spirit within you, you have a spiritual gift. You know, you also have hobbies, interests, things that you like. We also think of just resources in general, your money. If you have an income, that's a resource that God has blessed you with. Your car, if you have a car, that's a resource God has blessed you with. Or your phone. I mean, even your phone is a resource that God has blessed you with. To bring in a little more specifically for me, if I were to examine myself, you know, at this stage in my life, God has blessed me with the role of being a husband to Brenna He's blessed me with the role of being a father to Brindley. 
He has blessed me with the uh, role of being a church member, of being an employee of my company. Um, he has blessed me with the gift of creativity, specifically video production, which I seek to use for his glory. Talking about spiritual gifts, I mean, I recently took a spiritual gifts class, which a handful of you were there with me. That was, that was good. Uh, I found in that spiritual gifts class that I have the gift of teaching, which Tony has blessed me with the opportunity to practice here tonight. And he's also blessed me with the spiritual gift of shepherding, which I seek to carry out here in my involvement with you, in youth group with you guys, and also in my role as an elder of the church. He has blessed me and Brennan with a house which we seek to fulfill with his glory, uh, an income which I want to sacrificially give to him. And, you know, the list goes on and on. And that same case for you guys. The list goes on and on and on of the things God has blessed you with. You just have to examine it. You have to define it. So ask yourself, what has God blessed you with to steward? Number two, you have to decide in your heart how much you intend to invest for the kingdom of God. As we see in this parable, the master was gone for a considerable amount of time, a very long time. And when he returned, he expected a report from his servants on what they had done with the things that he blessed them with and what returns they had made on those talents. And as I mentioned before, good stewardship or investing requires not only the management, wise management of your resources, but also the wise management of what else? Time. It requires the wise management of your resources and the wise management of your time. In the investing game, in the American market or just markets in general, you put your money into the market and you let your money grow with the gains and the fluctuations of the market. But it takes time, it takes patience, it takes waiting it out to let the market do its work. We are called to ensure that we are making the best use of our time for gains for the kingdom of God. Donald S. Whitney in his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, me and Tony are on the same wavelength here. Um, well, I'll, it's not up there, but I'll say this. Godliness is the result of a disciplined spiritual life, but at the heart of a disciplined spiritual life is the discipline of time. This is backed up by Ephesians 5, 15 through 16, which is here up on the screen. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. What does he mean by the days are evil? Well, he's saying is that our sinful habits and the desires of the world would pull us away from the pursuits of God and, and have us pursue the things that are, would make us happy, not the things of God. It has us pursue ourselves. The days are evil, so we have to be on guard for that. 1 Corinthians 3, 13 through 15 says, If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. It's alluding to standing in judgment before God and him assessing what you have done on this earth. 
Now, what this verse is trying to encourage us to do is that our days should be, fit, should be shaped by an eternal focus. When we inevitably stand before the judgment seat of God, we want our works and the way that we used our time, the way that we used our resources to be tested by fire and survive. We want it to have eternal value. We want it to remain and have an eternal impact. And here's a really important point to understand is that sacrificial stewardship requires sacrifice. Sacrifice is a word in our culture that has been really muddled down. We really have lost the true meaning of sacrifice. If we are truly to be sacrificing and being sacrificial stewards, we need to be actively giving over to God everything, even when it doesn't feel good, even when it feels against what we want for ourselves. If God is calling us to do those things, it's a sacrifice and we need to submit to him. And we need to remember on that point is that Christ did this for us. He bought us with a price. He sacrificed everything so that we can be his. So why is it so hard for us to sacrifice everything that we have that was already his in the first place? You know, why is it so hard? I have a quote, and I apologize, this is a little long, but it's Oswald Chambers from his book, My Utmost for His Highest. But I think he really frames this up well. Listen closely to this. We seem to think that God wants us to give up things. God purified Abraham from this error, and the same process is at work in our lives. God never tells us to give up things just for the sake of giving them up, but he tells us to give them up for the sake of the only thing worth having, namely, life with himself. It is a matter of loosening the bands that hold back our lives. Those bands are loosened immediately by the identification with the death of Jesus. Then we enter into a relationship with God, whereby we may sacrifice our lives to him. It is of no value to God to give him your life for death. He wants you to be a living sacrifice, to let him have all your strengths that have been saved and sanctified through Jesus. That is is what is acceptable to God. We need to be a living and active sacrifice on a daily, consistent basis. And to do that, we also need to remember that good stewardship requires a frequent assessment of the things that God has blessed you with, the time that God has blessed you with, the resources God has blessed you with. You guys are in high school, but as you're gonna find, as you grow up, God is going to bless you with different roles and different resources, different pockets of time, you know, stuff like that. You, you got to, on a frequent basis, assess, okay, what does God bless me with at this stage in my life? And am I using those things that he's blessed me with for eternal impact? It requires careful planning and commitment. A really brief aside about money. I'd like to talk a little bit about money because under the umbrella of stewardship is the topic of wisely managing and giving of our money. 
in second Corinthians, I feel like if we were to start anywhere, second Corinthians is a really good place to understand God's view of money. In Paul's letters to the Corinthians, he gives us some key points to keep in mind in relationship to money and stewardship of money. What we learn in these verses is, for one, sacrificial giving. Giving over to God sacrificially, like I said before, requires sacrifice. We can't hold tightly onto our money. Giving or the lack of giving defines who our reliance is upon. Is your reliance upon money or is your reliance upon God? Your act of giving implies that. Also, we learn that we are to do it with joy. God doesn't send you a bill in the mail and say, you owe me this much on this day. He doesn't care about that. That's not the way he works. What he wants is your heart. He wants you to give to him and rely upon him. He wants the heart attitude of it, not just the action of it. He wants joy behind it. Also, we are called to systematic, systematic, planned giving, not just giving whenever we feel like it. This is really important because I would really like you guys to establish this habit at this young age that you're at, where some of you may be just starting work, um, and you, it, you just got to start young. You got to start this habit young. So we are to consistently give over to God. It's a consistent practice of saying, God, this, this is yours. You have blessed me with this. I am not relying on this. How much to give is, is, is a matter between you and God, but I just want to emphasize that we should be practicing systematic plan giving, not just whenever you feel like it, because that is not going to happen then. You can't rely on that. The third thing that we need to do to be godly stewards is know the heart and character of your master. Let's see how the master, the man, or Jesus in this parable responded to the results of his servants. If you look at verses 20 through 24, his response to the two faithful servants is the exact same. They did what was expected of them with what was entrusted to them. He says that they were faithful. John Bevere, in his book, Multiply, he says this about the response of the faithful servants. He says, Jesus directly attributes faithfulness to multiplication. This man multiplied what was entrusted to him, and it's clearly being equated to being faithful. God just desires us to be faithful to what has been given to us. He wants us to relinquish control of those things to him, trust in him, devote ourselves to him, and see what he can do through us. That's what he asks. He asks for faithfulness, and he's going to work through us. On the flip side, if we look at the response to the other servant in verse 24 through 25, the servant said that, I viewed you as a harsh man. I viewed you as a hard guy. So I was afraid. So what I did was I took your talent and I buried it in the ground to keep it safe. And nothing happened with that talent. It wasn't multiplied. Nothing happened. The master's response was fury. He was furious at this guy. He called him slothful. He called him lazy. And he even called him wicked, which sounds kind of harsh. But what it does is that it emphasizes 
God's devotion or God's seriousness to devotion of his followers. If we look back at the Old Testament Mosaic law, we see many forms of offerings, different types of sacrifices that are laid out in that law. Burnt offerings, grain offerings, sin offerings, guilt offerings. But the pattern that you see as you read the Old Testament is that what God cares about is that it have a pleasing aroma to him. What does it mean by pleasing aroma? Well, what it's trying to say is that God knows the heart of our sacrifice and he's going to respond to that sacrifice dependent upon where our heart is at. Going back to the parable, what we see in previous verses is that when the, when the servant said that he perceived him as a harsh man, there's nothing in the parable that implies this guy was a harsh guy. This guy was, you know, really someone to be afraid of. And that's not who God is. We need to understand that. We need to know that God, that God wants to fulfill his dreams in us and support us in his dreams for us. He wants us to be successful in him. If you look at Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are identified with Christ Jesus and God has good works laid out and planned for us, but it's our responsibility to respond and actually do them. We should walk in them. There's the option of not doing that as this servant did. We also learn in the parable that God will entrust more to us if we prove that we are faithful with the things that he has given to us initially. If you look at Luke 16, 10 through 13, it says, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest, dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is yours? God is the great venture capitalist. God is the great venture capitalist. What do I mean by venture capitalist? Well, I want to give you a real life example here. In 1985, venture capitalist Steve Jobs invested $5 million in a small startup animation studio called Pixar. No big deal. He believed in the vision and the direction of the company. He believed in their purpose and where they were heading. Fast forward to 2006. In 2006, Steve Jobs sold Pixar to Disney for $7 billion. The value of the company grew in just that short amount of time, from $5 million when he bought it to $7 billion. This is a simple example to kind of show you that God is like this. God wants to fund his dreams in your life. He wants to provide you with the gifts, the time, the resources, and the strength to do the things that he has envisioned for us. You have to trust in him that he will do those things. 
He wants to support you. He is your funder. (laughs) So as we look at this in summary, how do we live this out? What What do we take from this topic? Well, for one, as we said before, you need to identify the things God has blessed you with. How do you do this? Well, number one, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you should take a spiritual gifts class, like I mentioned before. You know, it's really important as a follower of Christ to identify the things God has blessed you with as a spiritual gift. The next time that the church offers a spiritual gifts class, I want you guys to go if you haven't gone already. I want you, that will help you identify those things and then practice them. You can also um, get objective perspectives. Talk to friends in the youth group. Talk to family members. Um, Have them tell you what they see as your gifts. Have them tell you what they see as your abilities um, that you could steward. Also, um, just spend time with God, you know. Spend time in prayer. Meditate on his word. Hear from him and what he wants of you. We also need to decide in our heart how much we intend to invest for the kingdom of God. Now, this is where my specific challenge for you guys comes in as we talk about practicing out these holy habits. So I want you guys to think about the church. And I want you to identify one area of the church in which you can be an active servant in. What's one area of the church where it speaks to your gifts? It speaks to your abilities. And I want you to decide to be an active and consistent volunteer in that area. You know, if we think about to the holy habits that we have discussed thus far, Tony's message on being a church member, being part of the church family, we should already be an active and consistent member of the church. So let's take that one step further and serve within the church. Decide that you are going to be a faithful steward and use your abilities and gifts in the church. Going back to the topic of money, I also want you to encourage you guys, not as a specific of a challenge, but I do challenge you to assess your financial situation. If you're working a part-time job, look at what income you have coming in, and I want you to plan and commit to wisely managing that, that, that income that comes in, and I want you also to decide to be systematic and planned in your giving. And if you need help thinking through that, I'm more than happy to, to talk to you about that. Lastly, know the heart of your master. Um, as we saw from the last servant, he did not have the right framework of who God was. So how do we get the right framework? Well, you need to be consistent in the word. You need to be consistently in prayer. Meditate upon his word. Learn about who God is through his word. That's what we have to do in order to know who our master is and know the heart of our master. If we have the wrong framework, then we're not going to be good stewards. You have to let his spirit, you have to let his spirit guide your actions. Thank you for tuning in to the Maywood Student Ministries podcast. We hope that this episode encouraged and strengthened you in your walk with the Lord. If you are interested in learning more about our ministry, search Maywood Student Ministries on Facebook or Instagram, or visit our website at mefc.us. See you on the next episode.